So I'm so excited to welcome Chris Cormus, Associate Dean, Chief Marketing Officer and Senior Advisor to the Dean for Georgetown University's McDonough's School of Business. Chris, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, Tanya, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited about our conversation today. Likewise. Now, you've been in your uh, in your capacity or in, in a variety of, of your capacities since 2009. So, tell me a little bit about what that evolution has been like for you. And please don't spare any details, particularly for the last 12 to 15 months, because I know that <laughs> that has been an enormous amount of change. But, you know, tell me a little bit about the journey. Well, I was very fortunate when I started at Georgetown's McDonough School of Business, I had the opportunity to build a marketing and communications office and strategy for the school. So back in 2009, that looked like a team of four, where you had someone who did publications, someone who worked on the website, someone who did advertising, and someone who did media. So fast forward to 2021, we're a team of eight. Not huge, but the way it's changed over time is that rather than having advertising, for example, on our team, we now use an external vendor for advertising. And instead, I replaced that position with a much needed position, which in these days, this day and age would be a no brainer. It was a social media person. So around 2012, we decided we needed to have a social media person um, in the office. And that's been so important. And we had a publications person in 2009, and now we have a content strategy director. So it goes away from just printed pieces to all kinds of content that you're going to consume. Printed is still included, but you have website content, you have social content, you have content for native advertising. So that certainly has been an evolution. And then of course the digital team has grown because so much more is digital and measurable than back in 2009. Uh, one of our most important uh, changes over this time period has been our ability to really measure what we do, and especially in a digital environment. So, you know, we can look at uh, analytics through advertising and through content, through social. We can look at SEO. There's just the digital world has really opened a new window for us where marketing and communications, they, you know, they used to say it's an art and a science. And they used to use that answer mostly when they didn't have an answer. So this <laughs> when it was really an art, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what it was really an art. <laughs> but there's so much science out there now that we can rely on that we really tend to gravitate now towards those tactics that we can measure. Um, because when we're measuring them, if we see they're not working, we can switch. We can switch so quickly now that we weren't able to do before. And that's been very exciting. So those are the major changes over the last 13 years. Oh, that's incredible. And I mean, bringing a social media lead in in 2012, that was a that was very early, right? It, I mean, maybe it makes sense given who you speak to, but that was still, I mean, I feel like maybe even now people are still going, oh, let's just give it to the intern or it becomes, you know, someone's thing that they do on top of everything else. How did you make that decision so early? What gave you the confidence and how do you describe the role of social media um, for your team and, and for your role? I remember one of uh, the dean who hired me back in 2009 said, so there's this thing called Twitter. Do you think it's going to stick around? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I think it's and I think there's more to come after that. So, you know, we watched it for a few years and we just had other staff members uh, playing with the social playing with the social media, which is what it was at the time. It really became a strategic tactic 
for us around 2012. And you hit the nail on the head when you said because of our audience. You know, our audience, we're recruiting um, anywhere from 16-year-olds to 40-year-olds for our undergraduate programs through our executive programs. And, you know, right in the middle, the majority of the audience is around 25 to 35, and they consume their information through social media. You know, gone are the days when an advertisement would build trust in an organization. You believed what you saw on TV or in a newspaper, but no, now it's the influencers. It's the folks on social media that you're following. It's the reviews. You don't buy anything anymore unless you read reviews and know what people are saying. So we really decided that that was a time to invest in it. And I'm so excited that on occasion, we actually hand our channels over to our students. So we do student takeovers. So we really get that student perspective. Um, student to student. Um, that's just so genuine. And that really is a strategic part of our marketing plans. Yeah, I, rem- I remember we uh, when we were chatting before you mentioned that. Um, I really love that because I think it keeps you and it keeps the voice of your brand so close to who it is that um, you know, that you're speaking to. But I, I do want to dig in on that a little more because you mentioned, you know, gosh, you're communicating with this range of, you know, 16-year-olds who are sort of looking ahead at the future and, you know, all the way up to, you know, perhaps 40-year-olds. And I think you also mentioned when we chatted, you know, there's also a lot of parents and there's, you know, there's there's just this big spectrum. How do you stay close to your consumer normally? And how, if anything, like what changed in the last year or so as so much has been shaken up in terms of the importance of education and the role of education in our community? It's really about knowing your audience. You know, you mentioned the spectrum of the ages from the 16-year-old to the 40-year-old. So it's our audiences are current and prospective students. So the current students is still an audience of ours because we continue to provide their education to them as a partner with them. And then they become alumni. And we want them to stay engaged with the school. So they'll come back and they'll help our other our students that are going to be in the pipeline. It's parents. And when the graduate level, it's partners. It's members of the media. It's deans of other business schools who complete rankings, um, rating how the school is doing. It's employers who hire our students. And it's current and prospective faculty members. So you know your audience and you decide on the tactic that you want to approach them with, not for example, for social media, not also all, all audiences are not on all social channels. So we've identified by practice and the art and the science, which channel works best with each group. And we tailor the type of content that's created, targeted at that audience and putting it on those different channels. So for example, we know that um, alumni in our older audience works better on Facebook. We know Instagram, you know, is for our younger audience. Um, and Twitter, that's not more for our academic and our research audience. So we measure that and LinkedIn. LinkedIn is also for alumni audience where we share, still share knowledge with them because even when you graduate, learning continues forever in your life. We want to make sure that they get the content. Um, so you asked me also how that changes this year, you know, this past year with the pandemic. Um, it's knowing your audience, it's having the content and tailoring it for your channels. And then beyond the student takeovers of the social channels, we've also found ways to engage those audiences in more 
high touch ways. For example, we have our students doing videos about a day in the life or what it's like to be a student at the school. And they create these videos. They're very raw. They're not polished. We're not putting a lot of B-roll in them or any B-roll in them. We're not adding music because prospective students want to see and hear from these students. So this right, is... Right, have it be authentic, you were saying. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So during the pandemic, last March, we shut down. We didn't... Nobody in this country or the world, I think, really knew the future for how long we were going to be locked in locked in our homes or wherever we're studying from. And so we had to find a way to reach our audience, our prospective students. And some of that is are these, were these videos that we created. A big selling point for recruiting students is the student experience, is the campus experience and bringing them to campus. It gets a prospective student to convert to an applicant and then an applicant to convert to an enrollee. If they can come and feel what it's like, they couldn't come and feel what it's like over the last 15 months. So, you know, we were struck with how do we create that experience for them? And so these student videos we created really helped bring that, um, bring that to them. No, that's, that's incredible. And I mean, I'd love to talk a little bit about the community. Um, and I know you've got your alumni community, you've got your student community. How do you sort of think about that as a marketer and sort of leveraging what I think is in many respects, one of your greatest assets. I'm so glad that you said that (laughs) because community is a huge differentiator at Georgetown McDonough. It's um, where, you know, we are a Jesuit institution. So we have the Jesuit values of women and men for others and cure personalis, which is the care of the whole person. And that's a big selling point to students who want that in their education. Any school can offer management classes, business classes. You can get a degree. It's the experience that you're going to have on campus that is so important. And at Georgetown McDonough, it's the students don't leave their classmates behind. They're collaborators. They're competitive. Don't get me wrong. They're they're competitive. But they're not at the sake of their classmates. And we hear this across the board from all of our programs that the community is very collaborative. And even when they become alumni, they come back and they they hire our students. You know, during COVID last year, again, we didn't know what was going to happen with hiring. So we asked our alumni, if you have jobs, please contact us. If you have internships, please contact us. We had one of the best years of recruiting ever because our wow. alumni really stepped up. And we started a new program. It's called Pillars. And it brings parents and it brings alumni into the classroom where they can share their experiences with the students beyond being a guest speaker that may be a recurring role that they have in the classroom, or they may just attend virtual office hours with a professor. And that's something that we really didn't uh, try too much before COVID because it was difficult with scheduling. Oh, how am I going to get to Washington? How am I going to, you know, how much time am I going to spend? I need to get an airplane or a train. I need to get a hotel. I need to get a car. Whereas in the virtual environment, just like I'm joining you today, um, you can do that. And so we've had so many more alumni joining in, um, like I said, even office hours with professors where a group of maybe four students will come in and the professor and alum will zoom in and it'll be a Zoom room where they'll just sort of talk about their goals and what, what's it like in the real world. Is what I'm learning really going to be applicable and very exciting. 
Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's an exciting time for your space in general. And I think when we were chatting, and it, it sort of makes sense to me now that, that you say it, but you talked to me a little about how, you know, even though, yes, 2020 was an incredibly challenging year for educators, um, many more people are now thinking about re-upping their education or just reassessing their priorities in life and who they want to be and what they want to become, not just early, but also throughout, you know, at, at different points in their career. How do you how do you see the role of education evolving? Like, is that something that you've seen, you know, has significantly shifted in the pandemic? And and what do you what do you see as the role of education right now? You have a situation like a pandemic or an economic crisis that really impacts the lives of people. And right, they do. They spend their time evaluating what are, what are they going to do next. And you do tend to see applications go up at the graduate level during these times. It could be somebody's lost their job, so now they have time to go to graduate school. It could be that somebody has a job, but they still want to go to graduate school, so maybe an evening or a weekend program or an online program is going to work for them. Um, these are conversations that start during a pandemic. And, and just to dig in on that, so you, you said that applications go up. Do these tend to be people who truly intend to follow through, or is it... Like a skill. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So it isn't just a thing that you do when you're evaluating, like they're, they're committed and they're, yeah, they're looking to yeah. take it. Yeah. No, it's not that they, you know, they had a glass of wine one night and they thought, I'm going <laughs> to get an, an MBA. <laughs> and then the next day they're like, oh, what did I do? <laughs> no, it's not like that because it takes a lot to get an MBA also. You, know, you have to take the, the GRE or the GMAT, so you have to take standardized tests. There's a lot of preparation yeah. that goes into it. You have to get letters of recommendation. You yeah, have to so people are seriously yeah. evaluating it and then taking this step because, yeah, because they've really thought it through. That, that's yeah. so interesting. Yeah, it, is, it is exciting. Um, so we talked a little bit about applications. So then about how education is delivered and how that's changed during the pandemic. So we, before the pandemic, we had one premier online class, and that was our Master's of Science in Finance. And we had our, an MBA, which is a flex, we have our full-time MBA, but then we also have a flex MBA, which you can take on evenings or weekends or on some online classes. During the pandemic, you know, everything shifted to online. And then in the fall, things started, the classes started to shift to more hybrid, where some people could be on campus, some people could be online. So I think we are seeing a shift in education, just like we're seeing a shift in the workplace. Not everybody's going to be going back to the office. I mean, I think we're going to right. see a lot more teleworking. We're going to see a lot more hybrid types of education. And uh, the, the lessons learned this past year, I think, are really going to serve us well as we think about how we deliver that education, more virtual, more online, yet still very interactive. Do you think that will mean that there will be more, like that it, we become more accessible, that more people who maybe, you know, like I, I think we were talking about this and I remember colleagues of mine who were embarking on a, an MBA nights and weekends, but it was always, it was tough because you'd have to leave the office, you'd have to commute or like there was just a lot of factors. There wasn't really that sort of strong virtual component. Do you see this as something that will drive more um, continuing education or more sort of growth from an education standpoint? Or how do you how do you see that sort of shaking out for society? I hope so, especially as we're going, I, I trust we'll see more of the hybrid option for education, you know, the in the classroom or at home. 
where it will make it more convenient for people who can't get to the classroom um, or maybe who don't want to leave their city. You know, if you're in San Francisco, but you really want to go to Georgetown, but you don't want to leave your job because you have a great right. job. You know, if or a family good, that's set up there, right? I mean, it, it's right. all of these factors. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think we're we're going to move more in that direction. Um, we are, even our online programs, though, still have an on-campus component. We call them residencies. And they're usually anywhere from mm, five days to seven days long where all students will come to campus and the dates are known well in advance. They can make the travel plans or plans with work and they get together, get to get, get to come together as a cohort and as a class. So you really get that um, experience of getting to know your colleagues in the classroom, because, you know, that's also really a huge part of education. You're just not on an island, a person on a screen, but you have these, these students that you're working with. It's especially good to start a program that way, meeting your students, because there's a lot of group work that gets mm. done at the graduate level. And you really start building those bonds with those on-campus residencies. So we do have a couple of those built into our programs, even the online programs. When you, um, you know, and I know you're about 13 years, give or take, sort of in in, in your seat as you reflect back on your career and sort of everything that's brought you to, to this moment, what do you view as the most influential decision that you've made? Most influential decision that you that I've made? Honestly, I would say it's um, before I was at, I, I went to Georgetown, I was the assistant vice president for university relations at George Washington University. And I had an 18-year career there, which was fabulous. It was one of those very junior person uh, jobs right out of college to becoming the assistant vice president for university relations. Um, and at that time I reported to the vice president for communications. So for me, at least for my career, one of the best decisions I made was um, accepting the job at Georgetown where I get to make the decisions and I get to form the team. Um, so I would say personally, that was probably my best decision. Professionally, I'm going to have to say going with that social media position, <laughs> although, you know, back in 2012 in deciding that, yes, advertising is important. We still need to be putting money in advertising and we still do put a lot of money into advertising because it is so important. And now it's measurable. Um, but I can use an agency for that. That is a wonderful partner. And we've had a longstanding relationship with our current agency. But then I could bring this social person into the building with me who can experience daily life with the team and with the students and with the faculty. Do you identify more as an educator, more as a marketer? Are you a hybrid of those two things? I identify more, well, I identify a lot as an advisor um, because the Marketing and Communications Office works with all the programs across the school. So if we're looking to create new programs, is there a market for that program? So doing some research, um, advising if it's a good time, it's a, is it a good time to start that program? Um, is there a market for that program? Um, and as programs that are developed are looking to make changes, you know, weighing in on that. So um, I would say I, my, my role as a senior advisor is very important. And then I see myself as a marketer 
Um, as an educator, I actually see myself as educating my team and educating others at the school on the importance of marketing and the role marketing plays in education. That's fascinating. Tell me more about that. Is that about um, sort of taking people that are maybe thinking more purely about the task of the programs and the education and sort of opening their eyes to what's possible in sort of telling your story to the to the outside world? How do you assess new and, you know, potentially sort of riskier or less tested channels? I mean, I don't know if it's even fair to put TikTok in that bucket anymore because it's just so popular and pervasive. But, like, what's your process for deciding whether you should be somewhere and kind of potentially getting your feet wet early? We love to innovate. And part of that is taking risks and being willing to take risks. And you have to be willing to take risks. So we are, I'm a, I would say I'm a risk taker. I'm a measured risk taker. I mean, I'm not someone who's just going to put it all on red <laughs> and hope I and hope hope I win. Hope is not a strategy. So we all have to know that. Um, you have to think about your goals, what makes sense, and decide. You know, if you're going to try it, I will always put a little bit in, do a test. I'm very big into pilots and see if they work. If they don't work, okay. It didn't work. Why didn't it work? What, you know, was there something we could have done differently um, and make changes? If not, sometimes it just doesn't work. You just have to say, okay, that didn't work. Let's not spend time wallowing in that. It's about constantly looking forward. I love that. And if you were to describe your sort of process as a marketer, would you say you're data-led, creative, inspired? Would you say you're kind of creative-led, you know, ideas-based and then maybe data-backed or something a little different? It all starts with, um, and I think any agency would tell you this, it all starts with discovery. So it's talking, know your audience, talking to your audience, finding out what they think is important, and then coming up with your creative. And then we come, usually we come up with a few sets of creative, and then we'll A-B test them or sometimes A-B-C test them and see what's working best on different channels. And we might do some swapping out. That's, of course, for standard, like if we're doing display advertising. If we're doing native advertising, it's thinking about what kind of content is the consumer consuming on different channels and preparing content that that consumer wants to consume, but that will still achieve our goals. What was the, uh, what was the first, like thinking back, what was the first brand that impacted you? And does any of that original experience impact your marketing practice today? Well, my very favorite brand is Disney. Um, and my staff will tell you I'm a Disney person. I've never worked at Disney, but even as a small child, when Sunday night, uh, seven o'clock or eight o'clock, Walt was, he turned on the TV and Walt was standing there and Tinkerbell was putting the pixie dust on his head. And it was, what was it? The world of Disney movie night. And I just remember sitting on the couch with my parents and really enjoying that. And, and then learning more about the Disney brand. And their aspiration for excellence and that 
every consumer of their product or their brand uh, feels that they're experiencing that excellence really deeply impacted my life and my career in the way that I go about um, managing and stewarding the Georgetown brand because everybody should have an excellent experience from uh, the very first introduction to once you're in, when you're in, and even when you leave, it's just, it's full cycle. Oh, I love that. You've got your, uh, your Georgetown cast members, right? Just I like do, that. We do. And you know, Disney <laughs> has its keys to the kingdom. We have our keys to the hilltop. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So um, if you could go back, you know, it sounds like you've you've had some really interesting sort of inflection points, you know, w- within your different roles. If you could go back in time and offer yourself one piece of advice at the start of your career, um, what would you, what would that piece of advice be? Don't let your feelings get hurt. And I'm actually always telling my younger staff this. There are a lot of strong personalities out there. In the end, you you likely have the same goals, but not everybody approaches the goals the same way. Personalities are across the spectrum. And as a young person building a career, it's sort of it's an ego off the table um, situation. Don't let your emotions get in the way. Keep your eye on what the strategy is and what the goals are. And then in the end, people will leave the meeting respecting you more. And understanding that you're there to work with them as a collaborator. In our Office of Marketing and Communications, I always tell my staff, um, we do a lot for the school. We are collaborators with everyone at the school, with the faculty and the staff and even the students, because the students, our students are amazing. They do so many projects on their own and bring in speakers. Um, but we're not, I don't want us to be seen as a service to the school. Because when you're seen as a service with clients, it totally changes that perspective. If you're seen as a collaborator, you're you're creating and you're building together. Right. You're at the table together. Yeah. What you create in the end is so much better. Oh, I love that. Last question for you, Chris. Um, What are you excited about right now as you look out into, you know, towards the second half of 2021 and out into the future? Well, I'm excited to see students again. <laughs> um, yes, I'm, I'm just so excited to see how we're going to take what we've learned these past 15 months and create um, create new experiences on campus, off campus, integrated. It's going to be a very interesting time, and I'm really excited about that. You know, going back to what we were talking about a little earlier, you know, how even education itself is going to transform, where we can have the person in San Francisco, you know, taking the the classes, um, but still coming to campus and being involved. So I'm very excited to see how we're going to carry forward what we've learned during this pandemic into the future. Oh, that's incredibly exciting. I mean, just if you can break down some of those boundaries that maybe held people back, then you potentially open yourself up to just a whole new pool of, of people. And that's that's really, really exciting. Very exciting. And I'm looking forward to international travel again. Oh yeah. <laughs> Listen, I had I had an I had a brunch the other day and I was like, this might be the most exciting thing that's happened to me all year. <laughs> like, <laughs> I forgot this was possible. So I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> I don't even remember. It was just a blow. Oh. I was I was so like there's people. 
<laughs> it's uh, pretty much where it's at these days. Yeah, everybody's um, smiling. Everybody, everybody's taking the masks off and they're smiling. So we're in a good place right now. Yep, absolutely. Amazing. Well, so incredible to have you. Thank you for sharing your story and, you know, and your view on, on the future and uh, really looking forward to following up soon. You're very welcome, Tanya. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Take care.